0: Hi there, this is High Performance, the show that unlocks the minds of some of the most fascinating people on the planet. I'm Jay Humphrey, and alongside our expert in high performing cultures, Damien Hughes, we learn from the stories, the successes, and the struggles of our guests, allowing us all to explore, to be challenged, and to grow. Here's what's coming up.
1: I wasn't accepting that life. One thing that I knew is that if someday I have a kid... I don't want him to have my life, the life that I had. The only person that will help you and decide on your life and change your life is you. From the moment that you take that decision and put the work in, that's when you change your life. You see all those people that been rescued or died in the ocean every day. They know all the story. They know all the worst thing that is happening there that you, don't, you have no idea. But they have no choice. I mean, I won. Look at me now. Look at my life. Look at where I was when you think I lost. The dream that I was carrying since I was a kid, I was that night living that dream on top of the world. I was there.
0: Oh, wow. Okay, then. Here we go. Welcome to the only podcast that NNA fighter and boxer Francis Ngannou is doing ahead of his upcoming fight with Anthony Joshua. So we met recently in a central London hotel And you know what? Francis walked into the room with such incredible presence. Like I'm six foot four and I felt small next to him. But interestingly, he walked into the room on his own. He didn't have a huge entourage. It wasn't what you'd normally expect from a boxer. He's a man who's been through so much. The truth is that the things he's experienced in his life have helped to build his confidence and create the independent strong-willed man that you see today and we talk in this episode about sharing the ring with Tyson Fury of course we talk about when he knocked Tyson down to the canvas he also shares his feelings about the upcoming fight with Anthony Joshua but he shares so much more you're going to hear Francis lay bare his incredibly impoverished upbringing in Cameroon his loneliness as a child his treacherous journey as an undocumented migrant to Europe but how all of those things have built him have created the fighter. And I've also created the man. You'll hear about his beliefs, his mindset, his work ethic, and his passion. It's all in this episode, as we welcome Francis and Garnu. The episode comes next, but first, a few messages from our valued partners who allow us to give you this content absolutely free. Of course, I know that ads aren't for everyone, and if you want to listen ad-free, then you can do so by going to the App Store and downloading the High Performance app. Right, let's do it then. Francis and Garnu on High Performance. Hey everyone, look, myself and Damien want just one minute of your time to talk to you about WHOOP, game-changing wearable tech. And we've partnered with WHOOP to offer you a 30-day risk-free trial. All you need to do is hit the link in the description to this podcast and you can make 2024 your best year yet.
2: WHOOP measures your fitness, your recovery and your sleep. And best of all, it coaches you through And we know the importance of getting feedback and consistent behaviours. Whoop helps you get both.
0: And I think that sleep is the underrated golden bullet for high performance. I can't talk highly enough of Whoop. And if you're interested in signing up, all you need to do is hit the link in the description to this podcast. And once you've done that, you can go to the Whoop app, hit the community tab, join the high performance community, and you might just win the chance to come and join us for a recording of the high performance podcast.
2: So sign up now at join.whoop.com
0: Well Francis, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Welcome to the show. What do you believe high performance is?
1: I think it's uh exceed your limit. I think it's go above average. High performance is about like uh I would say it's about making making differences, difference between others because there is a performance that everybody would do but what make some performance high performance i think is the the dedication also the discipline that you put in it the and in order to put those you need a motivation too and uh, all that combined um, with your hard work then you get the result of, you get to the high performance.
0: I love the idea of doing the things that other people don't do. So let's rewind right back to a young guy growing up in Cameroon. Was there a moment where you realised that maybe the way that you thought was different to the way the people around you were thinking?
1: As soon as I can remember, I always knew that uh, that difference was quite obvious since I was a kid. But, then, and then uh, people around me, they notice it. And he has a negative effect. You know, like I was like, what, maybe seven, eight years old. And I was questioning like, adult like, yes, but why? And in Africa, they don't like that. You have to obey. You have to listen and do what the elder person say or parents. And then I have to, I need to understand reason of staff and I have my own uh, vision or opinion about stuff, and uh, I shouldn't, according to them, and that w- w- that make my upbringing even tougher. Because yes, we were very poor. Yes, we our we were very unstable in f- in our family, and uh, even uh, in uh, resource and everything. But I was just like. A bad kid, a kid that question, uh, adult, a kid that disobey, that doesn't respect. And he was bad. So why did you? I don't know. I mean, they were noticing it. But for me, it wasn't something that I'm like, okay, let's do this. I was just a kid. Uh, I think it was just my way of thinking that was different, but it wasn't something that I wasn't clever enough, enough at that point to think that I should do things differently, right? He was just me and I grew up like that. And at, and every time I would have my own way or my own opinion on doing things. And uh, I was the example not to follow. A lot of people didn't <laughs> want me around their kids. They didn't want me around their family. I'm like, I would. Uh, intoxicate them, like I have a bad thinking. They want uh, their kids to be respectful. This and then I don't come. I uh, they don't want me to come around and stick these nasty ideas of uh, curiosity, disobedience to their kids or something. Like I was a, I was just a black shit growing up. Growing up.
2: Can you give us an example of of? Of what you're describing, like what was the kind of questions you were asking?
1: For example, I was six years old, and then I went to my aunt, who was like uh, the uh, older sister of my mom, and then uh, she has like eight kids in the house. And among those eight kids, I fit in like maybe the fifth. Yeah, we were the same age, kind of. And I miss my parents so much at that point. And um, you know, I love I love my family, and I love my dad, my mom, my siblings, and everything. And the divorce uh, separated us. I'm there in. I found myself in this family. I have i'm not seeing my mom i'm not seeing my dad i'm not seeing my brother or my sister and i don't know when i'm gonna see them you know so i kind of i start to reflect to that and thinking about it and someday he was just me and my aunt in the kitchen and she was walking and i look at her and then i asked her why my mom and my dad couldn't stay together like your husband and you and i was just like six, about six or close to seven years old. She looked at me like this. And since that day, she passed away in 2018, and she she didn't believe that I was a kid. She knew that this is not a kid, this is something else. Like for her, he was like the spirit, a different spirit was, um, a spirit was living in the body of a kid, like something. And, uh, but in a negative way, you know, so he was really bad on me. Really? Yes. Like when they say that in Africa, he's he's a bad way, you know.
0: Were you loved by people around you? Your mum and dad weren't there, your brothers and sisters weren't
1: there. Who was loving you at the age of six or seven? I was missing them. I mean, uh, sometimes, I think at that age, what kids need... Is their parents and what they use for? You know, until then, the only people that I really know uh, and get familiar with was my parents and uh, my sibling. Why couldn't and you stay with? All of a with... the sudden, they are not there anymore. I found myself in this uh, city, far away, five hours, at least five hours away from anybody that I know. I remember I was maybe like twelve years, eleven or twelve years old. Then I get sick, and then one of um, my far cousin came to the house, and because I was very sick and for a long time, and he came to the house and he said, "If you are tired of living, uh, uh, you can you can live uh, of living. You can go now, but don't um, uh, don't make our sister life complicated because." And then when they say that, you know, uh, we have a they have a story in Africa that there's this body that come in the uh, form of a kid, and they come in some family, and sometimes they can come with blessing, and sometimes they can just come with trouble. So he was his own way to say, like, he was speaking to a spirit; he wasn't speaking to me as a kid. You know, like, okay, if you're tired uh, of living, you can die now, basically. Like, leave leave our sister now. Like, give her a break now.
2: There's an interesting psychological theory on this called around attachment theory, that up until the age of five, we learn how how do we receive care and affection from our caregivers. And that's often the relationship we have with our parents or the adults in our lives. So given that you had to move away to your auntie and you were classed as a troublesome child, how do you think it affected you in terms of establishing relationships now in your adult life?
1: At that moment, he affected me a lot. You know, I was very attaching. But um, at the same time, when I look at it now, he was something that I need for my own growth, personal growth for my own development. Why? Why? Because I look back in my life, everything that uh, let me here, it's basically like everything was planned. Like my life, my whole life, I've I just been like following a, a plan. You know, even without knowing what I'm doing, I'm following a plan. Like if you go at certain moment of my life and change one thing, then there is 80 percent of a chance that i would not i wouldn't be here where where i am today right so like what happened at that moment um i started to think about it a lot and then what i did was that i start to imagine the perfect family that i wanted or the perfect life that i wanted i imagine it so much then that I started to build it to make it adjust everything to make it perfect. Then I get to the point that I get that perfect life in my mind. And then he become a thing. I have this family life in my mind that I was living. And then at some point of the day, I'm gonna escape. Basically, when it's tough, I'm gonna escape, go to that family. You know, and the, that imaginary family that everything is perfect my mom is there my sister uh, my brother siblings are there uh, my dad is there and then everything is right i'm going to school uh, i don't have a book problem or a pen pen problem everything is perfect he was the best thing that i had at that moment so i was so attached to it and he was evolving over the years, right? And then, and that's also something that I get to the point that, you know, at first you're trying to fit in because I live with my aunts for three years. And after that, I, I started move here with my uncle for six months and there and there. And um, everywhere you're trying to fit in, you know, you're trying to uh, fit in where it is. At home or at school or out there, just trying to have a friend. But my own world get so big that I think at some point, uh, unconsciously, I accepted the situation and just get back in myself. I accepted myself, my life as it was, and I was dealing with me. And from that moment, I never need to belong anymore. And I never need a friend, like thing that I was chasing all the yeah. time. Did I you have, have many friends? friends? No, mm. no. I was moving uh, all those time. And then like, not only I went to some place and then I was stranger at home, you know, have to get familiar, even with kids at home or uh, or around in the neighborhood. Have, we have to know each other. And I was alone. I was a new guy trying to fit in same thing at school and then by the time maybe I trying to they start to recognize my face I'm moving somewhere else and something that didn't help not only I was a new kid but for some you know when you're a new kid and you're the cool kid it's cool you have friends really quick you're the guy that come with cool stuff and this. but it was the reverse here I was a new kid but the one that maybe after two, three days at school, they're gonna kick him out of the school because he didn't pay a scholar fee or he didn't have a notebook, a book to take note on, or he didn't have a pen. So from that moment, not only you a stranger, but you're basically embarrassing. Nobody wants to be friend with kind of, and that's what's make it even harder. And I get to the point that, and I struggled with that for a long time, but things, everything changed when I accepted it. I'm like, okay, just having my wall, my visual visual, visual world in my mind was enough for me to escape. And when I was dealing with tough stuff, I would go hang out with that world that I have in my mind.
2: I'm fascinated by the... by what you're describing is in is, is many ways visualization mm-hmm. so in the skill in psychology often sports people use it is to visualize an outcome they want and then construct their whole life to move towards it and I'm interested how much of that visualization skill that you were doing to imagine the perfect family do you still use today then Francis? I still have that
1: I visualize a lot you know like um it's something that I grew up with. It's something that I lived with for so many years, you know. And then I found myself, it gave me comfortable. I found myself at some point in life uh, that I didn't have friend, and I didn't need friend. You know, I didn't even need people. And for some people, when you say that, It's kind of like sad, but that has become my biggest strain, not to be independent, not to be dependent on anybody or anything. So the thing about me is that everything that I'm doing or what we are doing here is cool, this is cool, this is cool. I'm capable of live without all of this. If needed, if I feel like I need it, I'm capable to walk away like there was never something here. But right?
2: how does that impact relationships now, like as an adult, like with your partner or or making friends or bringing coaches into your circle?
1: I will not say he impacts. I have a very tight circle. I'm a very uh, lonely person. I'm very independent. For some people, most of the people, they don't understand, but it's my own way of being. I One thing that I refuse to do is to let people' judgment impact my life. You know, obviously I get to some point in my life and then things start to change and I was, I started to become the cool guy and I started get invite, uh, invitation to parties and stuff like that. But, I never find my spot. I will go to the party, then I don't want to be there. I realize that I don't want to be there. And then the way that at some point I need to escape to go somewhere that I'm alone, that's how I refresh, I feel Otherwise, I feel like it's drowning my energy, you know. And then um, I started maybe turn down. But the problem is that when people get, inter, get inter, uh, interested about you when you're cool. And then they discover the person that you are. And I'm like, yes, you think he's cool because they don't really know you, which is exactly the same thing that you have from like maybe five years ago, but five years ago, nobody give a damn about you. <laughs> 10 years ago, nobody gives a damn, but they, they, they are discovering you now. And I'm like, yeah, he's doing this because he's cool. No, he's not nice. He doesn't like me. He doesn't this. No, he's just like that. He just like to be with himself. To this day, like, again, I have my, even when I go home and I love my family so much, I have my own place. We can. There is a place for time for family. There is a time for me. And then when comes time for me, if... Family is around messing. If family is messing around, that's no cool. (laughs) (laughs) I need my space, (laughs) I need my moment with me, and that's how I work. I, I think it's a really powerful message
0: for people because we often forget that all the things that we went through when we were young is the reason why we are where we are today. You know, there wasn't young Francis and the Francis you are now, they're not two separate people, it's all one. And a lot of this came from the challenge and the the hard times. Mm -hmm. I'd love you to explain to the people watching and listening to this that while you were at school, without the money to take a pen or a book or a bag and you had no friends and you felt you didn't belong with your aunt and all of the family, you were working in a sand mine as well, right?
1: Yeah. um, I mean, that was three years after because I went to my aunts like uh, I was six when, right when my parents divorced, right? And then uh, after two years and a half, I went back in the village. And then at first I was with my grandma. And that's the moment that we started to go to the sand mine because our, our uncle was working in the sand mine. I mean, at that point, he was our only option, my big brother and I, to go to the sand mine, trying to contribute. First of all, like when you you go to the sand mine and work, at least you get fit that day. And then the pay, we figure that after. But uh, most of the time we were working with our uncle, which, which helped us when he can. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't it, there wasn't a salary at that point because he was the guy that helped us, obviously. So we were helping him for the most part in order to help And what us. was
2: it like? I mean, describe what a sand mine is like.
1: First of all, it's not anything that you want a 9 years old to be working yeah. there <laughs> because it's like strong. You have to dig sand or shovel sand all day long and do all this hard work in the mountain that they are digging, which is dangerous. Sometimes uh, he collapse and even kill people when they're, I mean, yeah, he was tough. At first we were just like, Kind of like helping doing that. We did, we were, even though I was bigger than nine years old kid, but uh, still wasn't strong enough to carry a big shovel and shovel sand and lift sand from like, I don't know, move sand from uh, 10, uh, 10 uh, 8 feet away. You know, right. I wasn't strong enough. So we kind of like built up and learned all um, the system.
0: And at this point, what was your view of your life? like? Did you like your life?
1: Never. That's one thing that my family didn't like about me as well because they feel like I was rejecting them. Uh, some people feel like I was blaming, blaming them for failing because I wasn't accepting that life. And for them, I should have... For them, I wasn't grateful... I was looking, seeing my life, a uh, father. And then uh, one thing that I knew is that if someday I have a kid, I don't want him to have my life, the life that I had. That's what I thought at that time. Today, my regret is that my kid might never know my struggle, my upbringing, my story. That's which makes me. yeah. I mean, I didn't like it at all, but still... I'm grateful to the life that I had because things would be different. I wouldn't be here again. I wouldn't be here. It's been years now that I start, I go home sometime and see those kids that for me at that time, they were the perfect kids. I envy them so much. I wish I belonged to their family or something like that. And everything was always right for them. They always get this uh, school uh, fee pay pay on time have book uh uh no uh, pants everything they always go to vacation i've never been in vacation you know vacation time even a weekend for us it's time to go to work you know to f- trying to get something and then they will go to vacation and then when school st- uh, starts they will come with all these new sneakers new backpack new everything i hate the moment that school starts because that's the moment that you see all those new things around and you're embarrassed with your old shoes that has hole every oh man i hated that moment i was more happy uh, i was okay when we get, after a couple months, because yes, there are new shoes, Mm. it's not that clean anymore, everything is not flashy anymore, and you you don't look so different, right? Kind of like, yeah, it's different, but yeah, right? But at the beginning, everything is fresh, they come, you know, even a new notebook has a smell, you come to the class, and everybody has this new notebook, they are opening their uh, notebook, and, you're out there looking for looking in your old book if you have a uh empty pages so you can take note on before finding time uh expect to have bo- a notebook you, later on
0: you are a testament though to the fact that the things that are hard for us aren't necessarily bad for us you know you're sitting here today because of the story that you went through and there's something else we'd like just to show you it's a photograph that damien's got um I'd just be interested in
2: your reaction to it, Francis. What emotions?
1: Just that people. So it's a photo of you with your dad. Uh, yes, I, my dad was a carpenter, um, and then he ended up in the village. He was sick for so many years, and then they thought whether I would be a builder or a farmer or a uh, maybe a carpenter or a mechanic or something. And my question was then why can I do something else? Like this, like that, like like becoming a fighter. I'm like, no, that's not for us. Uh, uh, Have you ever seen anybody this, this, that? And then I would be like, "Mm, I'm not sure about that. I'm going to find out, you know? And they didn't like that. And, um, And everything that I was... And even my alternative, because I have no guarantee that this is going to work. It was just a dream, but I hold this dream so much. I care about this dream so much. But even my alternative wasn't anything close to what they were doing. I was, my life was somewhere else. I was looking yeah. to my life, expecting my life to be bright. Yeah. I mean, my dad died, I was 15, and I was at uh, school. So, no many things. Uh, was happening after that then i left school then i started being on my own then get to the point that i was sick again i realized at some point that okay when my dad died when my dad died i had an excuse i was a kid i was going to school then i find myself at some point i was an adult i was 20 uh 22 24 24 then I'm um, like, yes. My dad died at home. He did, he was he didn't even die in the hospital. Then I realized I was like, if the same thing happened to my mom today, like, what, what can I do? You know, for my dad, I had I have an excuse that I was a kid. I was going to school. Today I'm an adult and I'm working, but I still can't afford anything. I still can provide any security. Uh, to me, to myself, to my family, and what happened if I have a kid and this and that freaked me out. <laughs> so, the, so, so, take us to the age of twenty-two, then Francis,
2: when you made the decision to take the leap and actually start to do something different, take a different pathway.
1: I, I mean, uh, at age twenty-two, that's when I left the village to go uh, do boxing. You know, because I was like, okay it's been a dream for so long time and then if you don't do something to make a dream a reality you rather go back to sleep and keep dreaming because he will always he will remain a dream and that's i had to take action but and then the reason why i did that i feel that he was a moment i felt that he was a moment I couldn't do anything. Even like the job that I was doing, I wasn't motivated to do. I'm like, man, come on. Until when? Which kind of life is this? Was I born to just survive? Would I at some point in my life like find the excitement of living like or by doing something or by trying to do something? And uh, for like a year, I wasn't even doing anything. I was the best worker in the village, but I wasn't really into it. In my mind, something was going on. So at some point, I just left.
3: Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns.
2: So, do you think it was the power of that vision that you'd had it created what's often referred to as cognitive dissonance it was it was uncomfortable to stay where you were because you knew you had this really powerful dream of where you wanted to be
1: yeah i have uh, I have the dream and i uh and I also have the i also need something to happen in my life. I'm also exhausted of this life that nothing has happened. Uh, I'm working day after day and still don't have any security and still can not provide any security. I'm a man already, supposed to be a man and uh, not only take care of myself, but being able, be able to take care of others. But I still don't have that security. And then I look around, I see people that are 50, 60, and they're in the same place like I am. And they were in the same place when they were 20. I realized 30 years happened. 30 years ago, they were in the same place, but nothing has changed in their so, life. So and you you resolved to leave Cameroon in the end? I first resolved to leave uh, the village. Um, and I was 22, moved to the city. And that's when I started boxing. boxing and... I understand real quick that it can, have, it can work there, but at least I keep training because whether it's in Cameroon or wherever, to become a athlete, you need to practice. So I was practicing, you need to have a skill to develop your skill. So I was practicing, but I knew that nothing are going to happen in Cameroon. And well, like what I was, was it
2: about p- boxing that attracted you as a means of escape?
1: I always love it as long as can, I can remember I always loved everything combat-related. Movies, uh, fighting, everything. That was my thing. Boxing, uh, because I look around at age 13. I look around. I mean, they kicked me out of the school someday, and I was out. And I think that was the day that I was like, I was pissed, you know. Like, okay, I've been trying to make this work why it doesn't work, right? I've been working in the sand quarry, a sand mine for for years now. Every uh, free time that I have, I'm in the sand uh, mine trying to walk to get something, but yes, I'm still getting embarrassed like this, like I was nothing. And then, uh, you know, I was in the school and kids will give you that look like, yeah, whatever, like we know, right? I was so embarrassed but that day I went out and I was so pissed. I have tears in my eye, think about it, and I even think about those looks and now I'm like, yeah, but they are not better than me. they look at me like they are better than me, they are not you know and then I started trying to convince myself that no, I'm know what they are viewing me as, and I'm like I I realized that I'm even better than them, man. You know, the least that I have, I know the value of it, I earned it. They are just lucky to have parents that can provide. So at the end of the day, I know the effort that I put to have the minimum that I have, even though it's not enough. And I'm going to prove them. And I was making this vow to me, like with all my, from my guts, like, is gonna happen like I'm gonna prove them they, they can't keep looking at me like that you know when you're down for so long coming back to a normal level wasn't enough you know just doing like a normal kid doesn't wasn't enough they already have a picture of you I wanted to do, I needed to do something that's gonna put me in the scare that they they all have to look at me like I need to step above average and so it, they can look at me. And that's the day that above, uh, between everything, my passion with combat, with fighting, um, then I realized the thing that would do that for me was boxing. Boxing is the thing that I'm going to do my passion without having a bad reputation as my dad who was fighting. I realized boxing is the thing that combines everything that i want i will fight i will do good and then all those kids will realize i'm not worthless you know that's the moment that i chose that i'm gonna be a boxer and i was 13 so nine years after was my first time to see a boxing gym wow yeah moving forward nine years after that. But the dream keep living in me and bigger and bigger and bigger. Like by the time that I went to find a boxing gym, I feel like if I didn't find a boxing gym at that time, I would have passed away. Like I needed it, nothing else. There was nothing else that I want in life except that. And then I was looking to do that. And you
0: decided you had to come to Europe to make that dream a reality you couldn't achieve it in Cameroon I've read lots of stories where people say France and Saganu came to Europe and it's one line it doesn't even begin to tell the story of the journey that you took and the journey that you needed all that energy all that desire all that drive to make it because there would have been so many opportunities to turn back on that journey
1: yeah first I wasn't even like my first dream was in Europe it was America the United States of America. I always love United States of America. And then uh, if you love boxing and you have heard a little bit about boxing, you know you know that it's happening in the United States of uh, America. They will tell you, you will know Muhammad Ali, you will know Mike Tyson, you will know the famous fight of Mike Tyson, the rivalry between Mike Tyson and... Even the holy feet, you know all that stuff, and it all happens in America, which is one more reason to go to America. But how to go to America from uh, Cameroon? I mean, no way. First of all, I can afford even like take an appointment to the embassy uh, to for visa application. It's not even thinkable the only thing that was closer was maybe navigate immigrate and get to um north in north africa and trying to get in europe and there maybe you have the opportunity to start something and to build up something to end up maybe in america because even when i leave Cameroon, he was just for boxing I have nothing else in mind. I think if it wasn't about boxing, I would just rather stay stay in my country because even the concept of like living without knowing where I'm going, without knowing if I will ever come back, without knowing anything, it was the most scary thing ever, right? I, need, I have only one reason, is to go find a opportunity for boxing. And that's how, and that's, he, those, I live with that for so many years. I thought it out for so many years because I'm like, okay, is it a good idea? Maybe I should just stay here, settle, trying to get better. Maybe this, maybe that. Basically, you have you heard you have heard people that uh, been gone for years, for decades, uh, or that they never heard of anymore, who potentially have died. I'm like, man, maybe I'd rather have a life without dream instead of having dream without life. <laughs> you have all those yeah. questions. And you know, how did that make you feel? You debate with yourself. You're trying to find it, to make the right decision for yourself. But there's something inside you that you can resist, that you can manage. It's your dream you get to the point that you realize that p- people died chasing their dream or trying. At least you die for something. So is that the decision you made, that you'd rather risk your life to escape and stay there? That was an easy decision for me. That's a decision that most of us do. If you, if you know a little bit about immigration, that's the decision that everybody does. Uh, do. You, you see all those people that been rescued or died in the ocean every day, they know all the story, they know all the worst thing that is happening there that you don't you have no idea. But they have no choice. And believe me, those who have choice, they don't get there. Because the path to get there is so tough, it's so scary, and when you're in in it, it's so scary when that you have to think twice. If and if you have a choice. A little bit of a choice is easy to turn around and go back home, you know, because when you're in Cameroon or in Senegal or wherever you are in Africa and having a dream to go in Europe, I'm going to get do this, do this and get there and try this. And then when you get there and see the reality, uh, you realize that you didn't know the full story at all. I mean, you didn't, you just have a, a piece of an iceberg in front of you. There you have the whole iceberg in front of you, and you're like, man, maybe I'd rather live without the dream, though. You know, you you question that.
0: What was the hardest part of the journey? Talk us through it.
1: The hardest part of the journey was keep to keep going to keep going, knowing that you might not be coming back you might not happen i made it in europe inside the zodiac you know the small uh inflatable Zodiac like this that you put uh you put air on and paddle you know stuff that some people have that in their pool if you have a decent pool he will fit in your pool uh, you know that was our ship that we. how were many using. people were on that boat nine it was nine of us that was my seven. So what actions.
2: kept you going when you'd failed two, three, four times?
1: The dream. The dream, the motivation. There was nothing to go back to. I think when you get to the point that you realize or you convince yourself that there's nothing to go back, back to, it's, it's too hard, but... N- little easier than when day something to go, to go back to. Some people have something to go back to and it's easy for them to go back. Maybe they are going back to live in their parent house. I had a small apartment out that was rented out. I let that couple months ago. I had a uh, I was a carrier in the market. So I have a position there. I was gone for months that position wasn't there what i was going back to to start over the little money that i made that i have saved getting there all along the way you spend it you call like send me this and then you use it for this purpose trying to get there and then you spend all that money if you go back is to start over so just
0: to make it really clear to the people watching and listening just Talk us through the steps of the journey. So you started, you travelled to North Africa from Cameroon.
1: Yeah, I mean, I left Cameroon, from Cameroon yeah. now to Nigeria. Yeah, Then from Nigeria to Niger, and then from Niger, that's when you have to cross the desert and then get to Algeria, the Sahara Desert, and get to Algeria, South Algeria. And then how have to cross oh, Algeria and get to Morocco, and then... From Morocco now, you start to evaluate your option. And then, you know, in Morocco, there's two uh, teri- Spain territory. Uh, in, the, in the West, there's uh, Ceuta, and in the East, no, no East, there's Melilla, which is like a little bit small territory, but would belong to Spain. And they are protected by fans and uh, guard, arm guard, both sides. So if you get in that perimeter, you're basically in Spain. If you're lucky enough not to get thrown back out, you know. So some people will try those options. I tried a couple of times, that's where it didn't work. Um, but I believe in the ocean. I try ocean over it and were. over. And then know. you ended up, you were homeless in Paris. Yes, we first get in Spain and then get in the, get in the, um, get in prison for like two months. After that, they free us. Then I was going to Germany because at that time the Klitschko brother, there was a Klitschko brothers in Germany, heavyweight boxing, and the train of heavyweight boxing was in Germany, so. I was going there. Preferably, I would have come to, you. I wanted to come in uh, uh, England. But, you know, even when you're in Europe to come to England, it's another story. You have to go north, north France, part the Calais, and then trying to maybe find drug and jump and do all these things. And I'm like, man, I think I'm tired of doing this. And I'm too big to, I don't know, like I just want a base somewhere to start. And Germany was the place to go. And then, but I was in the group of people and most of them, they was going to Paris. And I stopped to Paris like, oh, let's take a look in Paris. Since everybody is about Paris, 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 Paris. And then I stopped there. And then next day, I found a gym. I met somebody and then met meet people. And then, then in like uh, a week, I had a network, a small network around me. Uh, organization I started know things in Paris and I'm like you know what it's not that bad maybe from here I can build you know when you can shout loud from anywhere f- they can hear you from far far distance I think from Paris I can s- shout love that loud look it was the best
0: thing that ever happened to you
1: because you met someone they took a chance they
0: took you into the boxing ring you ended up with a contract to fight in the ufc amazingly
1: first i met uh first i went to the boxing gym yeah i didn't even know mma i went to the boxing gym and i met a guy named of the name of Didier carman who helped me uh in a lot of aspect in paris which is one yeah i mean he's the person that helped me the most like he talked to the boxing coach to get me in the gym and all the stuff he helped me financially like my first sneaker in paris he bought it to me uh, my first my phone people were making phone on phone uh, on me with on my phone and then he gave me a new phone he gave me an yeah, apartment for two months. So from the street to his to one apartment wow. that he has in Paris, I lived there for two months. He was he was the guy. So and when you look back
2: at Didier and the impact that he had, you know, subsequently now you fight when you're fighting the heavyweight champions of the world. How much do you feel you owe somebody that so, that took a chance on you when nobody else would? How do you think about him now?
1: Well, uh, it's easy. I think positive about him um d j and i we we' still in contact and then, um again, I'm grateful that I met him to so with all the help that he has heard me, we kept a good relationship and um I'm not disregarding everything that he has done to me or that every anybody has done to me, but one thing that I always fight again, which most of people will not accept, is that it's not somebody that helped me or anybody that helped me will make me who I am. Because you, if you're a stupid person, they can help you as much as they want. You won't do anything. Your life depends on you. Because, and the reason why I always fight against that, because, Um, most of people basically in africa when i grew up most of people think like if you have somebody that cannot help you you can be anything and i strongly disagree with that people can help you but the only person that will help you and decide on your life and change your life is you from the moment that you take that decision and put the work in that's when you change your life somebody can bring everything in your life Every of us know somebody that was born in a great family and they take good care and trying to make him a good life and he still end up, ended up being an idiot. <laughs> it's all about you. So I like to take credit myself <laughs> for what I have become. I'm like It's not it's not like I have done anything wrong, right? I give credit f- to who deserve, right? But I give credit to myself first uh, as well because I've been the one going into all this, putting myself into this, right? My parents heard me, giving me, getting me in this world, you know, from the moment that I was the most vulnerable in my life, they was there. And uh, I will always be grateful for that. But I still get the credit of my life. (laughs) And you deserve the credit because you continue to make really brave decisions. You know, you
0: you ended up in UFC, you became the heavyweight champion and then you walked away from the UFC. Like, nobody does that, Francis. Like, tell us the thinking, tell us how you came to the decision to walk away from
1: UFC. My dream, my decision, my principle um First, we disagree on a lot of way that things were going. Uh, I think the biggest mistake that the UFC did was to try to mistreat me or to us me up that can work on me. I'm so stubborn to be messed up. You know, like, uh, and then from that moment, not only he allowed me to understand the business and to understand the uh, mistake that was in the contract. And whenever they come around with a contract, I said, we're going to fix those because this gives you the power of this and take, um, take all my right and I can't do anything. We have to make things fair. And I'm like, no, we always do like that. Good for you. But always do like that doesn't mean it's right. And what works for somebody not necessarily works for somebody. What doesn't work for uh, others might work for me. How about we try something else? And uh, there wasn't down for that. And
0: wow.
1: Were you scared when you walked away? Yeah, of course. I mean, you have this... Um, Big, uh, this big corporation, this big company that has a lot of power, they have a lot of investor. they have a lot of financial power, a lot of people have an interest in this company and then you're saying, you're getting in the position that basically you're making them losing money. Mm-hmm. The company will do everything to save that.
2: So you walked away, Francis, and a lot of people watching and listening to this will be familiar about when you took on the impossible odds of facing Tyson Fury for the heavyweight championship. I I want to ask you if you'll take us to that moment where you knocked him down, you're stood in the opposite corner and you're seeing the heavyweight champion of the world on the canvas. What was going through your mind
1: Nothing. I was in that fight. I was thinking about him. I was thinking of what will happen next. I wasn't thinking about, you know, I don't carry my story uh, in the ring and that, you know, you're there, you're fighting. And you am like, okay, he's, he's, he's going to uh, come back up. This is going to happen. And I knew that Tyson is the guy that will yeah. always come back from knockdown or something like that. The guy almost come, out, come back from knockout. So knockdown wouldn't be an issue for him. So he was cool, but how to handle the fight? I wasn't thinking about anything else except that fight at that moment. Maybe afterward or now we can reflect on that, but at that moment, that's not the thing that you think. And so many people
0: watch that thought,
1: this guy's won. Then
0: they announce the results on the scorecards. You lose to a split decision. Your face, I expected you to look sad, down.
1: Why? Why? I mean, I won. Look at me now. Look at my life. Look at where I was when you think I lost. You think because some foolish judges make some decision that changed anything in my life. My family that I was telling you about, they were sitting in the first row watching that fight. The dream that I was carrying since I was a kid, I was that night living that dream on top of the world. I was there. And for all the people that been doubting me i was there proving them wrong for everybody that ever looked me look down to me look me down i was there proving them wrong hi there there was home watching me on their tv i have won everything you think like because some judges make a decision it's not a court. The only decision that a judge can make to change my life is a court if he signed me to go to jail. But I'm out here. In fact, because of that fight, from that fight, I won this fight. I won everything. I won everything that night on or that in that fight. I think I won everything from boxing. And the least that they could have get back was to get that, like, oh you son of the bitch, you're not taking everything from us. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> what what would have happened if I have They have given me a decision. It makes the boxing look really bad. Like they need to save a face at some point. I understand that. Listen, thank Uh, you so much for joining us.
0: The the final thing, you're, you're about to fight Anthony Joshua very soon. I saw Anthony yesterday. He said, he said, my job when I fight someone is to break their spirit and take their soul. Is it possible to do that to you after the life you've lived
1: and the journey you've been on? You know, I will never say, they say never say never, nothing is impossible, right? We don't know the strength of uh, Anthony Joshua, but uh, even though I don't believe he has that strength, but we're going to find out in in two months. We're going to find out, and I think the reverse is going to happen. I'm going to be the one taking so his, his, his soul. Damien. Jake. I
0: mean, what an interesting conversation. I think that you can't talk to Francis Ngannou about being a fighter without understanding the man behind the fighter. And I think that's what that conversation was about.
2: Yeah, absolutely. There's an old saying in boxing that when everyone else steps out of the ring, there's only one person steps forward. And that one person is what we were discovering today. Somebody with that history, that story, that resilience. That's what we want to know, who's under the arc
0: lights. You know what I thought was really interesting is like, he has said openly he wants to be the baddest man on the planet. You know, that's the journey that he is on to prove he is the baddest man on the planet. Yet the person that's just sat in front of us is calm, um, eloquent, quietly spoken. He doesn't bring an, a huge energy into the room. He doesn't. He didn't come in with 15, 20 people and an entourage. You'd almost miss him if he quietly walked into the back of a room. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah, yeah. it's not what you would expect from someone in his position. And I mean that. Wholly as a compliment. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think
2: context is always relevant here, that I think in a boxing context, being the baddest man on the planet means a certain thing. It's being belligerent, being gnarly and nasty. But that doesn't mean you have to be like that in every other aspect of your life. You can be that decent, calm, understated person in lots of other ways. And I think there's something really powerful about that.
0: Mm. And I just, I look at him now in the position he's in, and I think, you know, that his response to the defeat by Tyson Fury is the perfect example of this. Whatever happens to him, as he's just told us, he's already won. Yeah. And that is such a powerful mindset to have. And I think that people who've listened or watched that conversation can take an awful lot from that, from being comfortable in your own skin, where you're at. It almost it insulates you from the rest of the world and the things that happen to you. Yeah. But I think if
2: anyone's listening to that, thinking, well, what can I do with that? Remember, this is about the learned experiences of of some of the planet's highest performers. I think there's something there about being a daydreamer, but daydreaming with a purpose. I think what Francis described was the power of cognitive dissonance, which says that your brain can't cope with having two conflicting thoughts. So he had the reality of working in the sand mines and the dream of having a better life elsewhere. And what was really interesting to me was at the age of 22, how uncomfortable his life had been because he had these two conflicting thoughts and he had to make a decision. I either dial down the the vividness of my dream and accept my reality or I walk away from reality and go after my dream. And I think there's something really powerful for all of us there of, it doesn't matter where you're from, it's where you want to get to. And colouring that in in Technicolor is powerful that any of us can do for whatever our dreams are.
0: What an uh, an amazing man, an amazing story. And I think that... So much of his incredible stories yet to be written. What a pleasure that was. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. What an incredible conversation. Um, thank you so much to Francis for giving up his time. So this was recorded just before he did a press conference ahead of the AJ fight. He was being pulled in a million different directions, but he still found time to sit down and share so much with us. And if you want to hear Even more from High Performance, then I suggest you download the High Performance app. You can get it from the App Store. It's totally free and it's full of incredible high performance content with some remarkable people. Don't forget the power of sharing the things you're learning on these episodes. Please continue to spread those lessons. Remember, there is no secret. It's all there for you. So chase world-class basics, remain humble, curious and empathetic, and we'll see you soon.
2: Small details are big surfaces, tight corners or odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right.